Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. We are studying John 9, verses 1 through 12. I am the light of the world. Hear now God's word. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents. Sinned, he was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went back. Then he went back and washed and came able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, No, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. My name is Brad Inman, and I'm one of the associate pastors here at Orange, and I'm so thankful to be worshiping with you here this morning and to have the opportunity to preach God's Word this morning. I'm, one of my roles as associate pastor is to be the youth pastor here at Orange, and I absolutely love my youth group volunteers. They are just the absolute best. They give up so much of their time for the youth, They sacrifice vacation days to go on trips and retreats. They put up with my absurdly long, detailed emails. And most importantly, they just love our youth so much, even the difficult ones. You know who you are. Just kidding. But for real, I absolutely love my volunteer team. So I try to be good to them. I try to tell them how much I appreciate them. I try to give them reminders of how impactful their volunteering is on the lives of our students. And I even cook for them sometimes, which for me is a real sign of love and appreciation. But there was one time, well, that I, well, I I did a bad thing. (laughs) And I made two of our youth volunteers very, very angry. (laughs) In the summer of 2018, in September of 2018, Hurricane Florence hit the coast of North Carolina hard about two weeks before our annual beach retreats. I didn't want to cancel, so I had to come up with a plan B very quickly. And so I thought, well, we can't go to the east, so that means mountains it is. Um, In my youth group growing up back in Ohio, we used to go to a place called Appalachian Bible College. 
And at this college, they had an adventure camp where you could kind of choose your own adventure. They had whitewater rafting, uh, high ropes, zip lining, uh, caving, just anything you could imagine doing as a group. And I really wanted to go whitewater rafting, but the river was still too high from the storm that had come in. We got to go with the high schoolers, and it was a blast. But with the middle schoolers, we couldn't do that. So I decided that the best option for us would be caving. It didn't involve heights, so everybody could do it, even if you were afraid. Um, it lasted the whole day. It didn't hurt like paintball. And also, how often do you get to go caving? So that's what we decided to do. Along with Meg Alverson and Jennifer Kohler, we took a group of 12 middle schoolers to West Virginia for a mountain retreat to go caving. Nobody really knew what to expect, but I kept reassuring them, it's going to be fun, it's going to be a blast. I went when I was in middle school and it was really cool. You just kind of walk around in the cave for a few hours, see some cool formations, stuff like that. I neglected to tell them back in eighth grade I had chosen the easy cave for the people who are claustrophobic because I wanted to spend time with the cute girl I had a crush on, but that couldn't matter. <laughs> it was going to be the same thing. Who cares? How, much, how different could it be? Well, we got there, and right away, our group leaders said, all right, we're going to split you up into two different groups, two different caves. There's going to be the wet cave and the dry cave. If you go in the wet cave, it's going to be cold, and you're going to get wet. Well, none of those sounded like the easy option that I was expecting, so I thought the least that I could do is take the wet cave. Jennifer, Meg, you can take the dry cave. It'll be fine. So we went off into our separate vans and our separate caves, and my group hiked in, and we were real excited. We had our helmets on and our headlamps, and it was really cool. We walked down this gently twisting tunnel, and it got darker and darker until finally it opened up into this big cavern with a winding pool of water that we could hop around and climb up on rocks and everything. It was really cool. It's like, all right, awesome. The kids are absolutely going to love this. And we just got to explore for a good 20 minutes, and then the guide said, okay, time to begin. Begin. Ian, what? I thought this was it. Well, we were about to go much, much deeper into the cave. And to get to that next part, a 25-foot army crawl on your stomach where you had to turn your head sideways so that you could squeeze through the rock on the bottom and the top. Oh, I thought to myself as I climbed, as I crawled through that crevice, I really hope that the dry cave doesn't have something like this, or Meg and Jennifer are going to kill me. They signed up to go to the beach, after all. <laughs> um, well, it turns out that they did. <laughs> the dry cave also had 25-foot army crawls through narrow crevices that they hadn't mentally or physically prepared for whatsoever. Their cave didn't have the freezing water and the thousands of cave crickets that we would discover our cave had, um, but the air in their cave was so still and it was so dry that they couldn't wipe the dirt off themselves because it would just hang in the air until they breathed it in. Also not very pleasant. So I thought, <laughs> Megan and Jennifer are going to kill me, and later they told me 
that as they made that army crawl, they thought, we're going to kill him. (laughs) But there was another moment that our two caves shared, and this was a moment that I also did not expect to be coming, and that was the blind crawl. It started off really nice. We actually reached this little cavern, and we circled up as our group. Our guide told us to turn out our headlamps and just to be silent for a couple of minutes and just kind of breathe in the darkness around us. And then he led us in a short devotional. It was really soothing, really calming. And after we prayed, he explained the next part of the tour. The other guide was going to crawl forward to another small chamber about 25 feet ahead again. And the passage there was, again, very small. So he was going to stay at the entrance and send us through one at a time on our bellies. Oh, yeah, with the lights off. No headlamps allowed. We were in perfect darkness. Our headlamps had already been turned off for about 10 minutes And there was no more adjusting that your eyes could make. It was so dark that even with your eyes open, you could kind of see the lights like when you clench your eyes closed really tight. You almost thought you saw something, but in reality, there was just nothing there. Your eyes just continued to play tricks on you. But we were supposed to just trust in our guide and keep moving forward. I already knew at this point that Meg and Jennifer were going to kill me, but now I had the youth-threatening mutiny. Uh Uh-uh, I am not going in there, Brad. No, I am not going in there. No, 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 no. Where's the way out? Leaving. I'm gone. Brad, bye. (sighs) There was not a single brave soul in our group. Nobody wanted to be the first one to go. But eventually, with more prayers, some reassurance, encouragement, and breathing exercises. (laughs) Everyone made their trek through. It was not easy for anyone. We knew we had to go forward, but it, (laughs) it of course, was not just a straight path. There was some winding going on. We didn't really know where to go. You just kind of had to feel out in front of you, feel the rock, and keep going through the turns. Several students got stuck. One was taking so long and was so confused that he called out for direction, and the second guide called out, follow my voice. And the student responded, God? (laughs) We were supposed to be quiet, but that one had the entire cave in laughter. (laughs) Once everyone was through and everybody did get through, We turned on our lights, and we looked back at the passage that we had just crawled through, and we thought, what did we just do? How did we get through there? After that, the rest of the trek was a cakewalk, no matter how much freezing water or how many cave crickets. It turns out that caving is much easier with a headlamp than in total and complete darkness. In our scripture today, John 9, 1 through 12, Jesus brings sight to a man who had been blind from birth. The youth and I were blind for 15, maybe 20 minutes tops, and we were terrified. We were so scared. We didn't know what to do or where to go. and We were paralyzed by our fear and confusion. The blind man in the story, I can't even imagine what his life was like. 
Being born in a world without resources, with no health care, no special schooling, no social services. Being born in a world that not only didn't understand him, but actually blamed him, or at least his parents, for his affliction. They asked Jesus, how bad did this guy sin to get dealt such an awful hand? He didn't pretend like it was no big deal. They said, this guy's life stinks. What do you do to deserve it? Fear, anger, confusion. I can only imagine how those applied to this man's life each day as he begged for just enough money to survive in order to do the very same thing the next day. What did I do to deserve this? Is this all my life is supposed to be? Misery? Does anyone care? Does God care? Why did he do this to me? The blind man was in physical darkness for sure, but I bet the weight of his spiritual darkness was even heavier. And that same spiritual darkness exists today, just as oppressive as ever. Fear and confusion seem to rule our world, and they can paralyze us just as effectively as perfect darkness. It can also cause us to lash out. Not to get all Yoda on you, but I do think that fear can lead to anger, anger to hate, and hate to suffering. When we fear, we pull back from others and start thinking only about ourselves. We retract and protect. Generosity and courage go out the window. Being vulnerable to others is gone. Instead of asking, how can I show love to others today, we ask, how do I make it through this? How do I get what I want? And I get it, it's human nature, I do it too, but then swirl in a healthy dose of confusion and look out. Those poor, poor youth who I had led an hour into a cave, they were so mad at me. Just go, Brad, go where? Into a rock? Cool. Okay, I'll crawl headfirst into a rock, Brad. Definitely heard that one. But fear and confusion can be toxic forces for relationships, for mental health, for careers, for families, for countries. Together, they are a noxious poison that seeps through our soul. That person doesn't love me. How could they? They can't truly know me and still love me. I don't even remember what it's like to feel joy. I just feel empty. What am I supposed to do? I thought that I knew what God wanted me to do, but clearly this isn't it. Nothing's working. I'm just lost. Where do I go now? I'm barely making it by. If I can't have it, they can't have it. Oppressive spiritual darkness is real. And it is spurred on by fear and confusion. Going back to our scripture today, what cures the man's physical blindness? Well, Jesus, of course. Jesus appears and he tells the crowd that the man's blindness has nothing to do with his sinfulness or the sins of his parents. And then right before he spits in the ground and mixes that saliva with the dust into a mud and placing it on the man's eye to restore his sight, he says... I am the light of the world. Jesus miraculously gives this man the gift of sight for the first time in his life. 
And the gift not just erases his physical fear and confusion that blindness must have meant for him, but gives him an entirely new life. He's no longer an outcast. He's no longer a beggar. He has an entirely new life where he can enter society and pursue a life of purpose and meaning. The light of Jesus brought forth not just physical healing, but an entirely new life for the man. And Jesus isn't just performing a cool miracle that happens to be a pretty obvious allegory, but this I am statement is also authoritative. Last week, uh, Adam hit on the significance of simply saying, I am Yahweh. But light and darkness is a dichotomy that has held as much significance then as it does today. Today, light and dark we have in Harry Potter, in Star Wars, Batman, Heart of Darkness, Shakespeare, all of our literature seems to have the theme of light is good and dark is bad. But in the Bible, it's even more than that. In Genesis chapter 1, in the creation story, darkness is upon the waters and chaos reigns until God brings forth the light, which brings life and order to the world. In Micah 7, though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. In Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, of whom shall I fear? In Isaiah 9, the messianic prophecy that we read during Christmas Eve says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Jesus saying that he is the light of the world is not just a cute metaphor. It's a messianic statement. He is saying that he is the Son of God. He is the light that brought life to the world at creation, and he is the light that is bringing new life to the world today. He is God. A chapter before today's scripture, actually, in in John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world for the first time, and the Pharisees recognize it for the messianic statement that it is, and they challenge him on it. And he responds by again saying, yep, I'm the Messiah, And John has to give a little explainer there that says the only reason that they didn't kill him right then and there is because it wasn't his time yet. Otherwise, they would have. To the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, Jesus was saying, I am the light of the world. I am the Son of God. But for the blind man, for the passerby, the typical person listening in, Jesus showed them that I am the world. I am the world what it means in practicality so when jesus says i am the light of the world he again says that he is the messiah but to the people passing by he says when he says i am the light of the world he shows them what that means in practicality by bringing the blind man the gift of sight but also by giving him an entirely new life He is stating his authority as the Son of God, but he also says, I shine light into darkness. I take away fear. I take away confusion. 
and I replace it with grace, hope, love, and purpose. Darkness is not a thing. It's an absence of light, and thus darkness cannot overcome light. It can't win. It flees in the presence of light. Jesus's love then is a light that cannot be denied. It cannot be overcome by darkness. And when we let it in, it will shine through. And when the light of Jesus's love shines into spiritual darkness, it is as transformational as a headlamp in a dark cave. It gives you the perspective to see the world around you in a way that you were simply unable to before. It chases away fear. It allows you to see with clarity and it allows you to have courage and to move forward with purpose. There's still caverns to climb and narrow passages to crawl and some scary cave crickets along the way, but the light, the light shines forward, always comforting, always guiding. But you have to let the light in. You have to turn on your headlamp. After he was healed, the blind man didn't go back to begging. He changed his life forever. Those who knew him before asked how it was possible, and he told them that the man called Jesus had healed him. And when the light of Jesus shines into your light, it is your job to reflect it, to pass it on, to turn on other people's headlamps, to tell them that the man called Jesus healed you with the light of his love and grace. Meg and Jennifer have since forgiven me, mostly. It took a few years, but even now I think they think it's as funny as I do. I hope they do. And now they even admit that they're glad that they went, even though they will never, ever, 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 ever go caving again. Even with the light on, there were so many times where it was just really challenging, and they needed the encouragement of one another the knowledge that God was with them and the promise of future justice to be carried out to persevere through it. In John chapter 9, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But John also begins his gospel by calling Jesus the light of the world. It's how he starts out the gospel. He says in John 1, and I made a few changes for clarification here. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He, John, was not the light. He came only to witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And then Jesus was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Jesus came to that which was that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He was too scared and confused. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, his light, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Open your hearts to the light of the world. Bathe in it. Believe that Jesus is all who he says he is. Bread, light, and more to come. Become children of God. Receive his grace, his truth, and his love. And shine that light to others so that they may too know that the one who healed you is the one they call Jesus. And be light in the darkness. Amen. Please pray with me. Dear God, we thank you so much for this day. God, there is spiritual darkness in this world. It is all around us. But God, you are the light that darkness cannot overcome. We pray that you would shine that light into the deepest, darkest parts of the world. We pray that you would shine it into each one of our hearts, and we pray that you would use that, use us, to point us forward with purpose, to bring your light to the places that need it most, to bring your peace, to bring your hope, to bring your joy, to bring your grace, and to bring your love. God, use us to be your light. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.